I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. I don't know about anybody else. I'm sure you've heard this a time or two. They say laughter is the best medicine. Now, I would have to push on that a little bit because, you know, that that famous nanny, you know, she's pretty famous. She had that, that handbag of amazement. What'd she say? Oh, yes, that's right. Two spoons of sugar helps the medicine go down. So who is right? Who is wrong? Help me welcome in my new friend, David. Dave, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. I'm glad to be here walking in other people's shoes. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we do like to walk in other people's shoes. We've been doing it now for four years. So, you know, that's quite the accomplishment. 200 plus episodes now to boot. Oh, congratulations. From our northern friends to boot. I think that's a Canadian reference. I, I don't know. Help me with that, maybe. <laughs> What's this uh, all about, eh? There it is. Yeah. A lot of hockey in your neck of the woods, eh? Yeah. How are those winter oh, yeah, hawks, eh? Hawks, eh? <laughs> yeah, the Blackhawks, yeah. Well, out here in Portland, we, well, I don't know if we still do. I'd have to research this out. But Portland is north of me. Everybody thinks I'm in Portland, Oregon. And so I always have to remind people, no, I'm in southern Oregon. It's very confusing. And so Portland is about five hours from me, four or five, depending on. But we used to have, back in the day, truly, was the winter hawks. And I think they were somehow affiliated with, well, your guys, your Blackhawks. Okay. Very cool. See, I didn't realize, or maybe I forgot, that you're in Oregon. I, I was seeing all the Tar Heel blue in your video, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, this guy must be uh, must be out there in Chapel Hill. That is true. You should check out the arm. I don't know if it'll come through on the video, but there is oh, now an arm tattoo. It's now spread to the body. It is now in the DNA. Well, that's very cool, because you know, you, you're you rooting for the college of the greatest of all time, and I'm in Chicago rooting for the pro team of the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. See, it all all comes back to North Carolina. It just does, it's a full circle, really. It's what it is. An interesting fact about North Carolina that uh, Dean Smith is the only person to successfully hold Michael Jordan on 20 points for his career. I do have Dean's book just over here. The Carolina way. It's it's close by. But in any event, getting into you, I love to ask this question. What size shoes do you wear? 16 extra wide. Wow. Yeah. That's a big footprint. Yeah, it is very big footprint. <laughs> There's not a very big footprint of that size available. So it's usually scouring Amazon for a good good deal. Or every once in a while, I'll walk into a shoe store that's got clearance where they just accidentally got a 16 extra wide. And it's back in, and it's not necessarily a pretty shoe. It's like, it, it's an old man's shoe usually. It supports the feet, supports the arches, so it works. That leads into my question. There's no way you can be like a brand snob or a logo hunting person. Like you can't just, you know, you can't just throw yeah. on some Jordans, you know, speaking of, and just say, okay, here I am. Here's my awesome $200 pair of Jordans. They probably won't be in your size. Well, I can order the $200 Jordans if I want to sleep on the couch and get yelled at by the missus. No, it's usually New Balance, either a dad color or just a bad color. Like the white with a little bit of blue trim. A dad color or a bad color. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot, actually. That's fun. A dad color or a bad color. I might have to just make that my own. Oh, go for it. This is your show. We know a lot of the same people. It, it is kind of fun. I've, I said this to a guy named Jerry Dugan, so he's, mm -hmm. a, he's a fun guy. You know, I, I said, you know, Jerry, we know a lot of the same people, but we've never actually interacted. He goes, I know. Isn't that weird? And I go, yeah, I, I feel like it kind of is, but I feel like you're in that 
that same type of category. How is it we never made this happen? But I'm, but I am excited that we made this happen. We're in this idea and this theme as we're winding down. I keep saying we are really winding down. There is an end in sight for this season, and I can't wait till May because there is going to be a new season already in production. Before we get there, we got to have these questions answered. Now, I asked you preliminarily in the green room, as, as I call it, this footprint, this idea of an impact or this moment. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a moment, but for you, do you have anything in that realm that kind of speaks to you and, and maybe would speak to us? A footprint moment. There are good footprints and there's bad footprints as far as like leaving an impact on my life. And one of the biggest uh, footprints on my life, uh, as far as negative, was my dad's illness. My dad was a Vietnam veteran. He's contracted all the side effects of Agent Orange through his illnesses and, and Neither one of us, me as a teenager, he is a, a guy that just saw his health quickly fade away. I left a huge footprint on my life because you know, I didn't have the dad by my side or the dad to lead me. Instead, we were both trying to figure out how life works with uh, with everything he was going through. We butted heads a lot. We didn't get along. We argued. We fought more than normal. That led in many ways to uh, my depression, which I, fought, I battled for about 16, 17 years. Those two things left a huge uh, footprint on my life. We talk about having that kind of absent dad, maybe there physically, but maybe not there emotionally. Yeah. What does that do for you as a growing up kid? Did you have this idea when when you, you started to get older what that relationship was going to look like with your dad? You, you don't realize what you're missing until you look back and realize, man, I, I really wish that I had handled it better so we could have had a better relationship. And then you realize that... As you know, as a man, there are certain things that you don't know or haven't developed. There, there are muscles emotionally that that as a man having a good relationship with your dad, you develop those, and that's why you see so many kids who are without dads end up in jail, end up depressed, end up committing crimes, end up welfare, not succeeding in life. God designed us to have a family where we learn from mom and dad, and where dad is the leader. And without a leader, you you falter and you fall on your face. There are many things that now as a husband that I realize I'm missing because I didn't have that that leadership at home. I'm not trying to talk bad about my dad. It's just a, the situation of he was very ill, didn't know how to handle it. Neither one of us had a firm anchor in faith. You know, we'd say, yeah, we're Christians. We, you know, we attend church every once in a while and didn't kill anybody. So that means we're pretty good Christians. We didn't have a practice of prayer or a practice of reading the Bible. We didn't have any kind of discussions about faith. The only thing was that when he would have a situation where he's in the hospital or something, then we'd pray because God was the genie. We just rubbed the magic lamp and dad would be better and come home. As you and I both know, that's not how it works. That was the struggle is that there are a lot of gaps that I realized. And then it's redeemable though, because God has shown me where those gaps are. And then I could be a better children's pastor. I can be a better camp counselor at the camps that my wife and I work at because I know the value of having a strong male role model that is flawed, not perfect, but loves and wants to pour in and, and to show the love of Christ. I know we don't necessarily have magic wands, and, and you mentioned a genie. It's fun to use our imagination. Being a children's guy, it's fun to use our imagination at times. Somehow, some way, we could imagine a different world, and I gave you the power. You know, again, I'm not God, but somehow we work it out. And he says, okay, Dave, you now have the power. I'm going to give you kind of a Bruce Almighty moment. You've seen that, I'm sure, Jim Carrey. 
One of his better movies, by the way, underestimated, I, I believe. But if we gave you that power for a week, maybe even a month, how do you change the family dynamic? I would make it to where that no parent could abandon their kids. For better or for worse, you guys got to stick it through together. You got to learn. You got to grow. And there would also be a lot stiffer punishments and no no technicalities for those that hurt or abuse kids. And I'm talking like, you know, the traumatizing abuse. Some, some would say, oh, you can't spank your kids. That's abuse. No. Sometimes a kid needs a, a, a swat on the fanny every once in a while to knock them in line. I'm talking like the abuse where the kids are broken and then they break other people because they're broken and haven't been healed. Dads would live up to their responsibility. If you father a child, you cannot leave. You cannot be out of the picture. Same time, if you're a mom and you have a an ex that wants to be involved in their kids' lives, you can't use that kid as a pawn. I, I see so often where the kid is a pawn either to get extra money on the alimony or just another way to hurt your ex. Yeah, and I hate those things. I hate, I'm, I guess I, I'm just really sensitive to the hurts and the pains that our society and our world puts kids through. And that's why I think Jesus was so adamant about taking care of the widows and the orphans and it would be better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck than for you to hurt one of these little ones. That would be my primary thing. And also, you're making sure that uh, the Bears, Bulls, and Cubs always got the number one draft picks. I think that would, that would be fun. Yeah, I think those are the biggest things. And I would put an end to two-party politics. I would make sure the people who had a servant leader heart would be in politics and not self-serving in politics. It's a lot to get done in a month. If I the powers of God, I could do it. But you remember what happened with the Sabres, you know, I'm just saying they did win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, Bruce yeah. Almighty. So there we are. But, you know, here, here's the thing. If we're going to dig a little deeper into that, where do you think that empathetic for kids comes from? My childhood, again, I'm not bashing. I'm not trying to insult my, my family. It's just you know, there were times where I didn't have somebody to go to and ask questions. I didn't, I didn't have somebody to really pour into me and help me grow. It was more like, I should just know how to behave. I should just know how to handle situations. The few times I did try to talk about things, it always ended up turning around to be about the adults and not about what I was struggling. Also, just this empathy, I think that, that God's given me the sensitivity to see that, that there's so much damage being done to so many kids at such a young age. Now, the details are still coming out, but we just had this tragedy in Nashville. And preliminary reports are, are talking about a broken teenager that was was lied to and in the midst of those lies developed some hate and went and took it out on people. Now, again, you know, details could come out that could make me completely wrong from what I've understood so far. We have a broken child that decided to break other people's lives instead of somebody telling, hey, this is life. This is how you handle it. It's unfortunate that now all these families, this whole community is just you know, rocked because there wasn't strong leadership and pouring into a broken kid to prevent such a tragedy. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. When I look over the span of the great tragedies of the world, I look at a Waco I look at a Columbine. I look at I look at a Jonestown even. You know, any time where there's been kids involved, I look at even the Manson murders. I mean, we could go down the list and and it seems like some of the great tragedies that we've encountered in our world and even in the US will limit it to the United States because that's where both of us are. When there's kids involved, there always seems to be somebody 
who's a male figure most of the time, who are creating the tragedy and the trauma. And in that, when you dig deeper into their story, into their footprints, into their impact moments that they've had, you start to discover there's a key element. And that element is they never had a male role model. It's a pattern. It's undeniable. The strong male role model wasn't there. I mean, you think about just the design that God had. He created man and woman to be the leaders of the home. Uh, the, the wife is not the, not the subordinate. She's the helpmate. The science is there. The, the studies are there. The missing male role model causes so much damage, and it makes it such an uphill battle for anyone to succeed. That's not to say that a single mom can't raise a wonderful child, because it does happen. That's not the design. And even if there is a single mom out there, that's where the church should rally around, and the men within the church help the single mom by pouring into the kids, by helping alleviate some of her burden. That's where the elders of the church, the men of the church, bring the kids out, you know, do some youth things, do some, you know, if there's a single mom, the guy takes, you know, the girl to a daddy-daughter dance and just shows her how to be a princess and how to, and shows her how a man should treat her and act. The missing male role model is undeniably devastating to a child, and it takes a lot of work to overcome that hurdle. But it's easier done when the hurdle is crossed when the kid is still a kid. It's when that kid becomes a broken adult, there's a lot deeper work that needs to be done. This whole idea that our society is missing something, and really, I don't want to say it to get too political, but I almost feel like it's a necessary thing that needs to be said. It's almost like the male gender in general is on the verge of extinction. Mm. And I haven't heard anybody say that yet. So here we go. I'll be the first. Truly feel like this. I really feel like the more I look around social, which granted, I know that's not the the barometer of life. Hear me. It's not. I think it gives us a great indication of where our world sometimes is heading or at least ideas that are being kind of kicked around. And I truly believe that the male species in general is where it's almost not okay to be a man. It's not it's, it's not okay to have testosterone. It's not okay to it's not okay to be a guy that that likes guns, that likes to hunt, that is into sports. It's not okay anymore. And I feel bad for the future generations of life. Speak to that if you wouldn't mind because I feel like you're a little fired up about that. It's a spiritual thing because if you emotionally, mentally spiritually castrate men then there's no one to stand when the enemy comes and it's a spiritual war and no matter where you people who are listening are, are at and you stumbled on this podcast there's a spiritual war happening. clearly a war against our kids if there were men by and large strong testosterone spiritual leaders there would be no such thing as drag queen story hour in schools paid for by our tax dollars but the men have been emotionally, mentally, spiritually castrated, they think like, well, I don't want to look like this. I don't want to look like that. And now our kids are being groomed in schools, in front of teachers, in front of clapping parents as some scantily clad dude dances and gyrates, showing off everything that God knitted together in his mother's womb. And people think that it's fun and it's cultural. If the men were men, that would not happen. It may happen once. Unfortunately, the men are like, 
I got to go to work. I can't get canceled. I can't get fired because if I take a stand, then my boss will see it on social media and then I get fired for being this. Well, if you truly trust in the Lord, you will know that you, you need to stand up and the Lord will provide what you need. We have so many things that are going on. We have kids who are six, seven years old who are having their mammaries extracted or their genitalia removed because they thought, I want to be another gender today. Here's the thing. If I said, you know, my six-year-old decided he wanted to be a dinosaur. So we're going to have some scales implanted and sharpen his teeth and do surgery on his eyes. I would be put in jail. I would be destroyed if my little six-year-old boy says he wants to be a girl and I do anything but support that. I am a bigot. I'm hate-filled. I don't care about my kid. I'm abusing my kid. And again, this is a situation where if men were still men, it would happen once. But we'd stand up and say no. But unfortunately, it, by and large, in many areas, men have said well, I don't want to face the fire because I feel like I'll be facing it by myself. Men aren't showing up to school board meetings to to have their voices heard about certain books, books that teach kindergartners about, let's call it self-gratification. You know, these are the kind of things that are going on in our schools. The men are nowhere to be found. A few women will go and then they're marginalized as Karens and you know, bigoted housewives or whatever. If the men stood up and led, these things would not be destroying our kids. And our kids are now lost because there's no one to follow except for big government and uh, the loud mouths that are getting their way. It's a loud minority. And unfortunately, they're loud enough and they're connected enough to media that, that we feel like we can't win. The greatest generation stormed the beaches of Normandy, not knowing if they were going to win, but they knew it was the right thing to do. Our Normandy is right here in front of us, and we got to be willing to stand up and, and charge together. But how do we rally men? How do we rally men to the cause? Years ago, when I was in high school, they had this thing called promise keepers. They had this thing that that rallied men together, this million man march. I know that wasn't necessarily our team per se. There was this thing, there was a rally cry. And now I go to men's groups, but I hear our men say, well, we need to get involved and we need to do something. And I'm mad about this. And I'm like, cool, what do you do? And there's crickets. How do we rally men? Well, it's got to start in small groups. It's got to be in person where you can look each other in the eye and say, okay, we're in this together. You can't rally uh, on social media. You can't rally on a bunch of Zoom calls. It's got to start literally at the grassroots with each church small group. And let's say, hey, let's get uh, all the church small men's groups in town together. Let's have, have a meeting. Let's talk. Let's talk about who we're going to support. Stop talking about it and start being about it. That's the thing that's stopping us is, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, well, let's do it tomorrow. No, it's got to be today because looking at, at the Bible and reading it, you know, talk, talk about uh, eschatology, the end times, there's nothing in there that would indicate that America plays in the final days. There's nothing that could either be God didn't want to cause a lot of confusion by including it in his word, or everything really just goes down to Israel at the end. America's not a, a factor. So we can't keep worrying about trying to save the country. I think that's also one of the things that keeps us from moving forward is the ones that are active are so worried about saving the American kingdom that they've forgotten to advance God's kingdom. Procrastination, wrong priorities is stopping us. Because if we're all about America first, America first, then immediately we marginalize and we separate, segregate ourselves. America first, you're automatically thought of, you're right wing, you're conservative, you're MAGA, this, that, and the other thing. So the people that would normally agree with you spiritually, who disagree with you politically, are not going to align with you because you're 
America first. If you're God's kingdom first, then that America stuff, you know, I'm a son of a vet. I, I love my country. So I'm not dis, you know, I don't want to see America go away. Realize that America's kingdom is not the eternal kingdom. God gave us the blueprint where he said, turn from your sins, turn towards me, and then I'll heal your land. We need to stop worrying about healing our land first and do the national repentance. Turn back to God. And it's up to us as men to do that and not be about America first, not be a, and also not be about waiting till tomorrow. I think those are the two biggest things is get away from America first and get to kingdom first. And now just do it and stop talking about doing it. But so many times, again, we get hung up on, okay, here we go again. Here we go. I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm going to make the move. I almost equate it back to, I remember back in the day, jump rope. I was terrible at it, by the way. But there were some girls in my school, let me tell you, could do, yeah, to do the double dutch jump rope. They were amazing. And ever since then, I've kind of, when I come across it on social or wherever, and, and I see people doing double dutch, I'm like, how did those girls do that? And they had, you know, a lot of them had like beads in their hair, like Venus Williams, you know, back in the day. And they were doing it that way. But I could never do it. But I feel like it's like jump rope. Like we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. I would never jump into the jump rope because I couldn't figure out the rhythm fast enough to jump. In. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's guys just waiting. And then the line behind me, of course, of people waiting to jump was like, come on, jump. What's your problem? Get in there. But I would never respond. And I feel like there's a lot of people behind us that are maybe waiting for us to make that first move. Talked about small group, which I love. I think it does start on a small group level. Expand out from that. Like the next layer would be what in your mind after small groups? Small groups and communities. This is another thing with the American churches. We're so worried about the consumerism, the numbers. We as a church are afraid to work with other churches because what if people go to their church instead of coming to mine? What if, what if I lose people or what if what if the new people in the community decide to go to the other church instead of go to mine? I need my church to win. That again goes to that America first mentality of like, and I've seen it in working with churches in, in my area that if it doesn't benefit my church, my congregation, I don't know if I want to be a part of it because I've got my own ministries and I don't want to work across a line. I don't want the Baptists and the Methodists to work together. That's another thing that, that goes to the leadership of men. Is they have to stop being wrong kingdom-minded. Your church is not your kingdom. Your church is part of the body. And again, it's it starts with a small group, starts then with the churches coming together, then it goes from there. It should spread. And again, the biggest thing is it has to be in person. Virtual text messages, all this stuff is all well and good for an occasional catch-up. We're better together. And when we're together, then we realize what separates us is far smaller than what makes us the same or what unites us. So again, it's got to be willing to focus on the right kingdom, the kingdom of God, and showing that there are more important things than America, than our church, and our city. There's a kingdom that we're fighting for. The kingdom has already won. We just get to be in the battle to, to see the victory. When I think that's what happens so many times is this idea that somehow, some way, my team is right and your team is wrong. My doctrine is better than your doctrine. And we get so wrapped up into the doctrine battle that I think you're absolutely right. I think nothing then it gets accomplished. And then it's like, well, okay, well, we'll try it again next year. We'll try it again next month. We'll try it again. And that never happens. It's very aggravating. Yeah. It takes one, one willing to say, you know what, if I do this, if I unite and I work with this group or work with this church and I lose people or new people end up 
up going there. At least they're still in the kingdom. At least the kingdom is moving. God will bless that. You can't be afraid of what humans will do. Be looking forward to what God will do. If you lose 10 people in your church because you worked with another church and they thought, oh, that church is cooler, that's probably God trimming the fat for you to be even more effective in ministry. It just takes one. You got to be willing to take that step of faith. And here's the awesome thing. If you take a step of faith and you fall flat on your face, you're in the perfect position. You're laying prostrate before the Lord and he can pick you right back up. I think sometimes people forget that. But yeah, um, and it takes men, men willing to be men. One of the guys that I really enjoy, Mark Driscoll, I know that he's got baggage and people look at him a certain way or think it's there. You know, a lot of people listen to the uh, Rise of Fall of Mars Hill podcast and everything like, oh, Mark Driscoll's this. Dude is solid on his teaching, especially teaching to men on how to be men. So if you ever have time, check out his sermons, check out his messages, especially at some of the men's retreats that he's done. He's one of the ones that's gotten me fired up lately is just realizing that men are called for such a time as this. It's just, are we going to answer the call? Are we going to let government answer the call? And, And we see what government can do. I think it was the famous Ronald Reagan that says the worst words we should ever hear is, hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I still like that quote as it circles around, makes the big circle. But here's here's my question for you that I really want to maybe center around. Kind of talked about the growing up and, and the wanting to make an impact because you didn't really have quote unquote, that father figure that that you envisioned, perhaps. And it's tough. You know, dads, especially military people, it's tough. They've experienced a lot. I'm a veteran kid myself, you know, Marine, so simplify. In that respect and in that line, what are you seeing kids today struggle with that maybe a parent could be aware of? Because you get that inside look working with kids a lot of times that, that maybe parents aren't necessarily privy to. Advice I would give is be involved. Know what they're looking at. Know what they're studying. Know what they're seeing. Too often it's easy just to let the screens babysit while mom and dad are doing whatever they need to do. There are so many evil and just flat out evil intentions out there. It's coming out that on YouTube Kids, which is supposed to be this ultra safe environment, that there are some very nefarious characters out there that are that's basically animated porn or animated uh, indoctrination in certain things. But it's on YouTube Kids and it's animated, so it's got to be safe. No, know what your kids are doing, know what they're watching. Don't be afraid to upset them because, hey, you're paying the bill for the phone. You're paying the bill for the internet. You should be able to check in and make sure that everything's on the up and up. So be involved. Take away the screen every once in a while. Let's get face-to-face and talk to the kids. Because you can't parent through a screen. Just like we talked about, you can't be men leading a revolution to reclaim our nation and, and God's kingdom at once. We can't do that virtually. You can't parent virtually. Kids who are parented by screens basically are, in many ways, orphaned because they don't have the relationships. They don't have social skills say is needed they don't have the ability to be patient to just wait to hang on until this is done so we can get to the next thing so you know these are the things i'm seeing there, there's such an importance and a need for men for the church to find ways to pour into kids who don't have a parent maybe they're in a struggling situation dad is traveling all over to you know to make ends meet maybe he's a traveling salesman maybe he's in the military maybe he's a truck driver come in and help fill some of the gaps take some of the burden off him off the worry off him because god built us you talk politically the title of hillary clinton's book it takes a village is literally right. The title is right. What she espoused, not necessarily, but the idea that we as a village, we as the body of Christ, we as the church should help 
every family and every child succeed, or at least set them up for success. Ultimately, it's their choice. They can choose what path. It's up to us to fill in those gaps, to be the village around the kid, to help support them, to help the parents, to take some of the burden off uh, when when things get tough. I think you're onto something. I know for me growing up, my dad was, was in and out of the picture. I didn't know what it looked like to be a guy. I still struggle on some levels when I go to Home Depot or Lowe's or places like that because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here because I don't fix things. You know, things break at my house and I'm like, oh man, who can I get to come fix this? Car breaks down. I'm like, oh man, I, I really am hoping my friend, the mechanic can do this. I just, I'm not that guy. You know, your cell phone breaks, the internet goes down. I, I could be that guy. My buddy reminded me the other day, John, he said, you know, Neil, you're just a, a fix it guy in a different way. Like, you fix technology. I'm like, yeah, but that's not cool. Like you don't get street cred because, you know, I know what drill bit to use. That's how you get street cred. And he can do it in other ways. I respect that. Is there a kid that you really poured into that you said, you know what, despite everything that he's going through, I'm going to press in. I'm going to make sure that he knows that he has value and that he's important. Do you have anything like that that comes to mind? One of the things that my wife and I are part of is called Royal Family Kids Camp. RFK is a camp for foster kids. It's a mentorship program under the the new corporate umbrella called For the Children. And basically their focus is on kids who are in the foster care system. And usually when you're in a foster care system, it's because things went terribly wrong. There's an abusive parent, there's abusive family, there's uh, neglect, or just simply the, the parents don't have the resources to, to feed and support a child. Something has gone wrong. There's some kind of you know, base trauma that's happened for each of these kids. Many of the kids are, are, are well adjusted. They're, they're, they're maintaining, they're doing all right. One of the kids that came to our first camp, so JoJo came. When JoJo came, he had this laundry list of infractions and struggles, had every warning label you could put on a kid. They were so worried about him coming to camp and doing any of these behaviors that he had to have his own cabin where he couldn't sleep with the other kids. We uh, just treated him like a kid. And we poured into him. We loved him. We treated him like his normal kid. And within a week, he was changed. Like he had a life change because he was treated like a kid and not a foster kid, not a kid with a bunch of warning labels. He was just a kid for a week. Be amazed at the change that happened in that week because we just poured into him. We just loved on him like he was normal. The next year at camp, he came and he was able to have a room with his brother. He was not on those restrictions. You know, he still had behavior issues, you know, as any kid does, and any kid that's still recovering from neglect and abuse. The change from year to year was amazing just because we spent a week treating him like a kid and, and loving him, making him realize that nothing he could do would shake our love and care for him, and nothing he could do would shake or remove the love that God felt for him. It changed his life. It changed his brother's life. It was just five days. The smallest amount of time, what can be done when you genuinely commit to it? I think that's the challenge is, is that I have a very good friend of mine. His name is Gary, who is a 
big fan and a big supporter of RFK. And he every year tries to get me sucked in. But, you know, like the jump rope, I'm like, ah, keeps telling me, when is next time going to be this time? And I keep telling him, well, you know, maybe soon. I'm familiar with that organization and I know they do great work and they have just an amazing turnaround with kids. And I think the sad reality sometimes is that at the end of the week, I think so many of those kids are probably like, I don't want to go home. This is, this is, this is what I want real life to be like. And sadly, you know, it can't be. You have to go back down from the mountain to the valley and and begin to live again. I love what you're saying that in a matter of a week, the turnaround and the change. Now imagine just for a second as we as men as said, okay, I'm going to try this on Sunday. First day of the week for some of us, really Monday for others, really it's Sunday. And we said, okay, from Sunday to Sunday, I'm going to do everything in my power to just care a little more, that I'm going to try a little harder. I'm going to just maybe talk to my wife just a little bit sweeter even though she might be annoying me and my kids might bug the heck out of me, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to push through that and just try it for a week and see what happens. Because I think so many times as a guy, like, again, we want to be Chuck Norris. We want to be, you know, Rambo. We want to be Apollo Creed. That's a new movie that's uh, come out. And I just saw that recently. You know, we want to be all these like rough and tough Arnold, you know, from back in the day, you know, in my case, the ultimate warrior, cause he was amazing. The theme song still gets me even to this day fired up in all that Hulk Hogan, even, or Mr. T or whoever we want to be all these macho men and yet we do nothing still and we try to tackle this gigantic elephant that's our life and we're like well wait a second if we just took smaller bites we don't have to inhale our food like a velociraptor we might get a little further I, I think that's exactly right because it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Over the course of your 26.2 miles, if you stumble once or twice, you stumble a lot, you still have plenty of time to make up for it. You pick up, you get back on pace, you still continue pushing forward. You brought up all these guys, all these heroes, all these macho men. And at the same time, I'm thinking, look at the life arc uh, of Rocky Balboa. Yeah, he was a great fighter. He's a great champion, this and the other thing. But he was also very tender. He was very gentle with Adrian. He was always, you know, with the exception of the uh, the abysmal Rocky V, he was a really a great father. In Rocky V is when he neglected his son to pay attention to Tommy, the machine gun. At the end, uh, things were fixed. But Rocky, he had great moments where he was a hero, a million great moments where he was a hero behind the scenes to his family. So that's what it is. It's about the constant pursuit of Adrian, the flirting, the the joy he had of being a husband, the joy he had of being a father. I think that's the guy that we should model after is that when you have the moment to step up, you step up big. You step up for 15 rounds against Apollo Creed. But then when you come home, you're there for a thousand rounds to support, love your wife and your family. I think the Rocky's a great guy to role model. You know, maybe not necessarily you destroying your right eye or your your brain through boxing, the, the idea of just stepping up in those moments when you have that moment to step up and do something great. When you're not in front of 10,000 people, you're still doing the great little things each and every day. And that's the important thing is, like you said, you eat an elephant by one chunk at a time. You, you can't eat it in a full bite. You got you to gotta nibble. You got to nibble at greatness each and every day. And some days are better than others. Some days you are Rocky Balboa. Other days you're Uncle Polly. Let your Rocky days outnumber your, your Polly day. And that's also another thing that men can teach boys is you don't have to bottle everything up. The, the manliest man of all time was Jesus Christ. And the shortest verse in the Bible speaks to us incredibly powerfully when it says Jesus wept. It wasn't that he was, you know, tough and he put on a tough front like, hey, don't worry, don't worry, stop crying. I'm bringing Lazarus back. Just chill. He wept. 
He let the emotion come out. That's another thing that godly men can teach is that it's okay to have emotion. God gave us emotion for a reason. Emotion is is ultimately to draw ourselves closer to God. Whether it's our happiness should draw us to praising God or our sadness should, should draw us to leaning into God or anger to draw us closer to God. Like, what do I do with this anger? What are, what are you trying to show me through this? Men need to teach boys how to handle their emotions and not to be handled by their emotions. But Dave, as we start to wrap up, two things I want to get to. The first thing is how can folks hear more about I've heard there's this improv comedy thing that kind of happens. And, and I know the, the the thing you never want to do is put a comedian on the spot and say, okay, say something funny. Come on, you can do it. Because that never works. <laughs> it is truly a timing thing. But how can people know more about you and, and what you're about? I do an improv ministry called Well-Versed Comedy, which is it's a group of Christians from any, any denomination you think of. We come together under the banner of Jesus and bring people together to laugh together. We mostly do fundraiser shows. We've got eight shows to benefit different chapters of uh, Royal Family Kids Camps. On April 1st, we have a show in Lockport, Illinois. Uh, you can find out about it at uh, Wellverse Comedy on Facebook or wellversedcomedy.com is our website. I do improv classes for the last four and a half years. I've taught improv classes at Salt My Coalition, which is a uh, organization that works with women who have survived sex trafficking. So I teach them improv as a way to improve their communication skills, their confidence, their creativity, and help them rediscover their voice through the, uh, the life of being in trafficking. You lose your voice. You lose a lot of your identity. You, you lose your willingness to, to actually laugh, to, to kind of break down those, down those walls. So if you want to find out more about that, you can uh, look me up at giftsforglory.com, gifts, the number four, glory.com. If you're ever in Lockport or the Chicago suburbs and you're looking for a church, uh, my wife and I are children's pastors at uh, Thrive Church. We're at encounterthrive.com if you're interested. That's awesome. Thanks so much for that. Going way back to the beginning of our conversation, they had this thing, and I actually want to do it here in Southern Oregon, but I don't know how, but I think it would be really fun. It's called Comedy sports and what they do is they have these. Have you heard of this? Oh yeah, there's a uh, comedy sports in Chicago. Okay, perfect. So you know all about it. Then they have the the fly swatters and everything like that. I absolutely love that. And I got a couple of opportunities to come up and be a part of the show, which was always really fun. And yeah, I'll go laugh and make fun <laughs> of you, when you get up there because <laughs> you're really funny. Sometimes when you're on the spot, you're like can be funny, but when you're thinking about it, you're not always funny. So <laughs> just keep that. She's like, and don't tell inside jokes. Nobody, nobody gets those. Nobody, nobody's right. gonna laugh at that if it's a joke between you and I. I'm like, no, but I'll laugh because it's funny because you're embarrassed. <laughs> that I'm telling this joke that nobody else knows about. But what's the key to improv that most people maybe don't know or don't realize the, the art of it? The art of it, the first thing I always, whenever I teach is, it's not your job to be funny. It's your job to be real. Because the reality that people can relate to that they find entertaining, and then that is where the humor comes. Because God designed us to be funny. God is a, a good father, and he takes great joy in laughing at his kids being silly, or at least, you know, silly by his standard. So the first thing I would always I always teach is it's not your job to be funny. It's your job to be real. It's your job to be in the moment. Your job is to make your partner look good. So whatever your scene partner says, that's the most brilliant thing you've ever heard. And then you respond in kind. And then they'll realize, oh, wait, you just said the most brilliant thing ever. And then as you build it together, you'll find moments that are going to be hilarious because you're creating 
uh, real life that people are going to wreck. All right. Well, speaking of silliness, we do this thing at the end of the show called senseless. It's just kind of this funny, silly thing we do. So these silly questions now being a Chicago fan, I got to imagine is the loyalty more bears? Is it white Sox? Is it Cubs? Where, where do the alliances lie? Uh, I would say it's Cubs, Bulls, Bears, Blackhawks, every Chicago high school, and then maybe the South. Wow, Sox. not a White Sox fan. It's not that I hate them. It's just that I never got into them. Yeah, the one time I would have cheered for them is if if Michael had got called up. But as we all know, the baseball strike was one big conspiracy to get Michael back into the basketball. Right. I actually had never heard that until this moment. But now you're making my head just swirl. <laughs> That's funny. Now you got me thinking about that. I'm going to be thinking about that all day. Thanks a lot for that. All right. So we we do have a North Carolina Cup here because I, I couldn't get a Cubs Cup fast enough. So are we okay using a North Carolina Cup? We're on oh, yeah. silliness. Okay, here we go. All right. So it's these six questions. Five are about senses and then six is a wild card. So here we go. I'm going to roll for you. And number five is this. What is something you taste that you always seem to get a reaction to? Hmm. Something that I taste that I always get a reaction to. Either cheesecake or Portillo's chocolate cake shake. Portillo's chocolate cake shake? Yeah, Portillo's is a, a chain of Italian sausage, Italian beef places here in Chicago. They have chocolate cake that's world famous. Instead of using eggs and traditional ingredients, part of the ingredients of the chocolate cake shake is mayonnaise because it contains eggs. And it makes it really moist and really fluffy. They take a slice of cake and blend it into a chocolate milkshake. So you've got a chocolate cake shake, which if you get the large, you always get a huge chunk of cake soaked in chocolate milk at the bottom. They're about 8,000 calories each. Oh, so worth it. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll have to put that on my Chicago list when I go to Wrigley. I actually okay. want to go to Wrigley. Not a Cubs fan. I do want to get out there. And then Fenway. Those are the two ballparks I want to really get to before they tear down. Yeah, they uh, just turned a Wrigley into an entire, like, it, the whole area is an attraction area. So I don't think Wrigley Field's going anywhere anytime soon. That's good, because I don't know when I'll ever get out to Chicago. One time, I almost did. I was selling for U.S. Cellular, and I had won a contest, and they were going to send us to Chicago, and it was going to be amazing, and we are going to see Kamitsky and whole thing. And I thought, well, I'll just sneak over to Wrigley, you know, while I'm there. And then they canceled the trip. Oh. It's very sad. Well, Dave, thanks so much for giving us some time today. Really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. Well, guys and gals, kids and campers alike, that is it. That is all. You know what that means. It's it's time to go. But just for now, just just for right now. Excited about how, how the season is going to end. I, I do have now confirmation of our season finale guest. And, and I, do, I just want to start promoting it now. You're not going to want to miss it. You are not going to want to miss it. Oh, I can't wait to tell you. I want to tell you right now. Should I tell? No, I can't tell you right now. No, I won't. We got to get back to Dave for a second. So let's get back to that. I know for some of you, listen, dad was not great. Dad was downright awful. Dad may have even hurt you. He may have left you. He may have, you know, I have a great friend that tells a horrific story about his dad, you know, leaving him on the porch, crying, never showing up because he was down at the bar. Now, listen, I, I know for some of us, those aren't some footsteps and footprints we want to walk in. Those aren't even shoes we want to try on. But if your dad's still here, if he's still breathing and on this earth, have you ever thought about letting that go? Really going to him and saying like, hey, dad, it's been 30 years. It's time. It's time to let it go. Maybe after today, it gives you that motivation to maybe get back involved in dad's life. And listen, the flip side of that, that side of the coin, if you are a dad, 
Let this be the wake-up call that you've needed to not be that man that you followed after. Don't be him. Be something different. Join me next week, as I said, as we walk in other people's shoes. But before I let you go, I got to tell you this. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening. And as I said, stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.